What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray, and we're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about finance, and of course, we're talking about business. It's a Black Man Sunday. Time to put all childish things away. I refuse to be the man I was yesterday. Gotta put my best And before we introduce today's guest, a brother from FAMU, he's FAMUly. But before we introduce him, we got to take it to Alabama A&M real quick, unfortunately. Yo, Eric, what's going on in Hunts Vegas, bro? And who do you have for our Black Men Sunday Spotlight? Hey, thank you, Core, for that. Um, today's spotlight, man. Well, let me, let me back this a little bit. Of course, for our spotlights, we obviously try to educate and motivate. Um, that's the purpose of these. So what I do is I try to go back and find uh, inspirational heroes who we don't read about in our history books. So the person I'm talking about or the people I'm talking about today is going to be called the Freedom House Ambulance Services. Now, Freedom House Ambulance Services, let me give you a little picture of them. This is the guys right here. Now, basically, Freedom House Ambulance Services was the first emergency medical service that was in the United States to be staffed by paramedics with medical training beyond first aid. Now, they were founded in 1967 to serve the predominantly Black Hill District of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which was staffed entirely by African-Americans. Now, Freedom House Ambulance Service broke medical grounds by training its personnel to previously unheard standards of emergency medical care for patients in a route to the hospitals. Now, these paramedic training and ambulance design standards pioneered in the Freedom House Ambulance Services that use standards for emergency care nationally and internally. Now, internationally, I'm sorry. But the thing about that was special about these guys, these are the people who set the standards of how we have EMTs use the same standards for today. So this was the first true EMTs. Now, prior to the mid-1960s, ambulance service in the United States was typically provided by either the police or by a local funeral home. Now, such services provided at most basic first aid, and then they did rapid transportation to the hospital, and police operated the ambulances. Now, the ambulance crew would typically load the patient into the back of a police van, and they rush him to the hospital. Now, the United States medical system had yet to incorporate advances in emergency care made in battlefield um, medicine. So the first cohort of Freedom Housing Ambulance Service recruits consists of 25 black men. And some of them, as you say, they're depicted in this picture here. Um, they were from low income, predominantly black neighborhoods. And at the time, local media referred to residents of the neighborhood as the unemployables and the Recruits included men who had suffered long-term unemployment. Half of the recruits had not even graduated from high school. Some had criminal records, some had felonies, and some of the recruits were even veterans of the Vietnam War. Uh, that's my spotlight today, Freedom Services, Ambulance Services. Now, Corey, back to you. Wow, man, you know, that's why we do these spotlights. You know, a lot of people, they come and they say, hey, you know, it's February they're going to load up the whole month of February with spotlights and, you know, black legends. And I'm like, but why do that in February? Like we hear every month of the year. That's and right. Speaking of that, you know, I ain't going to let you slide that easy, Eric. Speaking of that, man, you know, Alabama A&M, man, I ain't going to lie, man. We've had a lot of guests that I didn't even know 
They sent me their press kits. Oh, I'm sitting here like, I know y'all don't have no publicists because you ain't even, I didn't even know y'all was, y'all have Alabama roots. And that's why I want to, well, before I introduce today's guest, because I'm kind of excited, you know, whenever a family rattler comes on, you know, I'll be a little extra turned up. But before I let you go, Eric, man, it's New Year's Eve, man. So first off, where my man is, you know, even though it's not New Year's yet, happy New Year, my brother. Happy New Year to you too, bro. So let me ask you, man, before we jump in, like, what do you have on your list of like resolutions coming up? 24, man, that's great. 24. Wow. Go ahead. Well, my thing is this, it's always a blessing to see another year. And my resolution is just try to be a more giving, to help somebody that's in need when I can, you know, and always be able to, you know, my all, my constant prayer is to never look down on someone unless I'm bringing them up. So that's my resolution, just be better at that and just helping people and, and keeping them motivated and uplifted. Yeah, definitely. Now, I I feel you on that because I feel like as black men, you know, outside of black men Sundays, you know, and outside of calling my brothers that I went to FAMU with, went to uh, Bethel High School in Virginia with, um, family members in New York, you know, outside of that, like this is my weekly fellowship. So, Eric, man, we're going to go ahead. But, you know, Alabama A&M. Many much love, many blessings, and I hope y'all have a better season next year because you see what we did this year. Because you know we them boys, let's go. Yeah, you you did win the you did win the the national uh the celebrity bowl. So yes, I will give you your 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 props to that and win the the SWAT championships and all that. But hey, we'll see what happens next year. No, I'm just saying. I just you know it, it sounds good. You know you've been kind of telling me all good. year. You know I remember when fam you flew in Alabama A and M. You had stuff on the grill. Oh, and, yeah. you know, y'all thought y'all was going to win. What'd you say? You was going to choke rattlers and rattler soup and all. So I'm just saying, uh, we done, we done came and choked Alabama A&M. Yeah. We done choked the bison. Matter of fact, I think we done choked the whole black football world. Matter of fact, I mean, I just know went. we did that. I'm just saying, I know we right. did that when you have, people got a LeBron James fam new jersey. And I'm like, I didn't even know LeBron went to fam. I kept saying fam you in the intro. The reason why this brother here has a bachelor's in FAMU, focused on communications and design. It's called interdisciplinary studies. But, you know, when I was at FAMU, you had PR, you had uh, radio, you had broadcast, and you had magazines. So I'm like, oh, fam, you done upgraded since, you know, I graduated. And I graduated in 03, so I'm just keeping it real. But we got Tyrone Law here. Y'all might know this brother if you're on Instagram, Tyrone the publicist. He's a public relations professional. You know, I ain't gonna lie, when I was at FAMU, a lot of people was in PR. I didn't realize PR meant publicists. I was like, oh, we don't have celebrity publicists on the show. Let's get back to my brother Tyrone, man. This brother works for Zillow. He's the senior public relations specialist, brand communications team, brother. Went from special to senior in like under two years. When I'm looking at this brother's work, Wyndham Destinations, brand publicity specialist, mm, recipient of Communicator to Watch Award, PRSA Orlando. This brother's from Winter Park, Florida. Well, you know, we talk about Winter Park, Park Ave. Y'all see that bread, but we're talking about Hannibal Square. Like, he's from the city. So imagine you got a brother, Hannibal Square, Winter Park, Florida, goes to FAMU. First off, I'm ready to get my first question off. Tyrone Law, a.k.a. Tyrone the Publicist, specialist, <laughs> brother, FAMU alumni. Welcome to Black Men Sundays, my man. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for having me. Bro. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm a fan of the show. I'm a fan of the mission. So, yeah, man. And I'm so happy that I get to talk to a fellow Rattler today on a Sunday. 
couple of weeks after the sweat, the, the celebration bowl win. So let's go. I was doing some research on you outside of your press kit. First off, I know you a publicist. You sent me your press kit. All I say is give me a bio and a headshot. This man sends me a bio, a headshot, his resume, got links to speeches he's been on and all that. You know, so my first question for you, though, humbly, my first humble question for you is, bro, you were about to be the GM, the general manager of a stake and shake. You about to start work. Seminole State gives you a publicist job. $12 an hour. And you said, yes, what's, what's going on, my brother? What are we doing? Say yes, man. I had to say yes, because let me start from the beginning. I graduated from FAMU. I'm six, seven months after graduation. We know that critical, pivotal time where that last month in school, you hearing all your friends, you know, these are people that you matriculated through the program with in J school. People are starting to get offers and the people are, they're, they're starting to solidify what they're going to do. And me, I had put in like 30, 40 applications, even before graduation. You know what I mean? Um, and I had internships, so I had proof that I, that, that I could do the job. And you know, the, fam the J school program, uh, the PR program, which I uh, finished most of it, but then I transitioned to interdisciplinary studies, meaning I took all the PR classes, but I just didn't graduate with the journalism degree. I had the, uh, the internships, wasn't getting any calls back. So I'm like, I can't just sit here. It's going up on a year now and I still haven't gotten a job. So the least I can do is work a job where I can earn some type of salary. Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, a decent paying salary, appropriate one that I think is appropriate for a college graduate. You know what I'm saying? And coming up on a year and I started expanding my options because I'm like, man, I'm being discouraged. In the meantime, I will still continue to apply and apply and apply while I'm working whatever job I landed, which to your point, I was applying for management roles at retail stores, restaurants. Long story short, Steak and Shake called me. I reluctantly, reluctantly took the job. They were paying like 50, almost 60,000 coming out of school. I'm coming from working, you know, I was working um, as a server in, in college, which was decent money, but it's not 60, close to 60K a year. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it. But the day that I actually went on my first day, the day before my first day, like I had gone to the store, I had met my staff, but the day before my actual first day of working, I got the call from Seminole State College to come in as the communication specialist. So I'm like, okay, all I need is one foot in the door. You can tell me no a million times, but I knew I was being, for, for, uh, I was thinking three years ahead. Like I'll take the $12 an hour. I was paying $12 an hour. I'll take the, the pay cut. I'll continue serving on the side just to supplement that income because I know once I get in the door, it's a, it's a wrap from there. Like, so that's what I did. How has FAMU prepared you to be this professional publicist specialist, man? I want to say that the FAMU journalism graphic communications school is world-class, honestly. It produces so many professionals out there in the game at the major networks, working for the biggest brands. So I just want to start by saying that's one of the reasons why I came to FAMU. I knew that I wanted to be a publicist since high school. I wasn't one of those kids that went to school and didn't know what I wanted to do. I had a mentor. My, my parents made sure that we were thinking about these things at an early age. So I knew I wanted to be a publicist and I started think, looking at schools. I wanted to stay in Florida. So, and I became, I, I was a fan of the news as a kid too. So I, I noticed certain people were FAMU grads, like the Pam Olivers of the world. She did sports, but there was, there was, there was a bunch of people that I would notice, like I'm a fan of, and then come to find out, damn, they went to FAM. So I'm like, I'm sold. I'm going, I'm going to FAM. So that was the reason why I went to uh to FAMU and, and joined the J School program. But um 
the program definitely helps you literally get you set up to get a job after school. Like they literally, the whole program is, is about learning the fundamentals of the field, which is, you know, learning how to write. That's on both sides, on the new side, broadcast, print, and on the uh, PR side, you have to know how to write. So they make sure that that, that, that groundwork is set and that that's embedded in our head. But also just making sure that there's there's professors there who kind of, they care in a different way. You know what I mean? Like they, there's a difference between, because I took some classes at, at uh, Florida State too, but there's a difference between, um, I think a PWI and HBCU, there's a level of disappointment that the professors have when you get to your upper course classes that it feels kind of bad, like, like a bomb. Like I, like not only am I like not doing well in the class for myself, but now the leader of the class is, is kind of disappointed. So that puts like a, a level of, uh, I don't know, like a, a special fire under you that you just want to make them proud. And like I said, bro, they just made sure like with capstone and everything, like you had to be job ready, be interview ready, making sure that you know how to write, encourage you to go out there and get articles published that you can use in an interview and the things that they encourage you to do things to uh, add things to your resume to be to be uh, marketable in the job market in the marketplace. Definitely, man. Great information, because I, I felt like, you know, I was on the broadcast side. Of it. I didn't really, you know, I had friends doing the PR, but I was more on the broadcast side, you know, the TV and all, you know, I thought I was fly too. So I'm, let's keep it real. I thought I was fly. I want to, I want to be on TV. I want to do TV. Then I became a photographer. I'm like, wow, you know, it takes me to, I'm almost 40 some years old and now I'm doing on air stuff. But that leads to my next question, man. Like when we talk about professionalism, right? Because, you know, talking about your press kit that's how i knew you was like a real pr a, a, a true pr guy your press kit you had a video giving a presentation for zillow the company you work for but you said i wasn't supposed to give the presentation but when i played that video bro i shed a tear i said wow i know he went to famu i don't know a lot of pr guys like that i mean i know a couple you know Jalen, and all Jalen christie i know a couple people not the name drop but i'm just you know i know a few folks but i'm just saying they're not shy to step on the stage and you know you your your degrees in pr but you have some broadcast game too so that's why i keep asking you about this fam you because i feel like you're well-rounded like you're not just a pr specialist you can get on the mic like you have talent so explain that for brothers Especially for brothers that have, you know, teenage kids, right? Brothers that have elementary schools. I'm a mentor in my community, man. But from an elementary, middle school up, I don't treat them as kids. I treat them as y'all just short adults, but y'all need to learn. So from that point of view, to upbring the next generation, because our show is about generational wealth. How has FAMU prepared you, not just for the PR, but I mean, the whole well-roundedness, you know what I'm saying? Honestly, PR is about, you know... Our main job, publicity, PR, is communicating with the mediums to get messaging out there to various audiences. So how do we do that? Now, social media, so influencers, those are the people that, like, for example, I'm a publicist. I'm working for, I'm working in-house for Zillow now, but as a PR person, your job is to get whatever goals or message um, that your client or organization wants to their audiences, your job is to get it out there in a, in a in an effective way you know what i mean so in the pr program at fam they encourage you if you want to be effective in getting the messaging out there to these busy broadcast folks to these busy producers to these 
busy writers who are on deadline all the time. They're constantly needing things. Your job is to make it as easy as possible for them. So all of our professors at FAMU would say, you need to familiarize yourself with all realms of media. So at FAM, we got resources right there. You have one of the biggest um, radio stations there. So I know one day I'm going to be a publicist. I'm going to need to know un understand how radio works. So I said, I'm going to go and try to get my own show on at, at the FAMU. I mean, at uh, 90.5, WANM 90.5, man, I had a blast. I love music, but I wasn't only thinking about, I was doing something I love for that particular example on that. But I, with, like I said, thinking three, four years ahead, like, bro, I need to know how radio works. So I learned that, boom. Then I need to learn how to write. I'm going to be dealing with print journalists for most of my career. So I'm going to go into the FAMU and I'm going to be a staff writer. So I wrote news. I wrote a lot of FAMU basketball, so I, I covered FAMU basketball for like a year and a half, and it was it was it was fun, and it taught me how to write. You know what I mean? So I did that. Um, what else? I produced a little bit for TV twenty. So basically, I just went out there. If ever there's an opportunity, especially there's a free opportunity, like pretty much we're paying for it to go to school, but we have all these free opportunities to add things to my to your resume. Why would you not take advantage of that? And even if you're in elementary school, high school, you can. If you're a parent and you have an elementary school child or you, you have a middle school, high school child, you can expose them to different things. You can start off just by sharing YouTube videos or reaching out to people in your community. If you if you have a kid who's interested or might be you think that they have uh, the personality or the, the gifts that might make them good broadcast people. Why not try to email one of the stations and see who you can connect with to give them a tour of the station. Now you can probably connect them with a mentor. And you know what I mean? You just have to find sometimes uncanny ways to get experience, get access to information and gain wisdom that's gonna help you later. You know what I mean? I've done things like working for free. Like I've done things, I, I used to call, uh, what was it, the Tallahassee Democrat. I tried to get an internship there, I couldn't get it, but I still shadowed a couple of reporters like for free just to sit with them. And guess what? Now when I go to my first interview, I can say I shadowed a reporter for two semesters. That's just gonna make you much more marketable. You should be thinking like, Everything you do now is preparing you for that end goal, whatever that is, career-wise. You know what I mean? Great, FAMU, great. A big part of that, bro. Like, fam, you, it really changed my thinking. I'm so thankful for it. Definitely. And let's, uh, you know, Hannibal Square. Like I said, Winter Park, I think of Park Ave. I think of the food, the shopping. I think of, damn, I don't really see a lot. I see Rollins College. I don't see a lot of black people walking around unless you know you're bred, right? You're driving a Porsche, you play for the magic or something. So coming from Hannibal Square, like I said, our show, you know, we on Channel 6, but, you know, we worldwide. I was looking at my numbers this morning. I was like, wow, there's more people in Germany listening than in the U.S. So let's talk about Hannibal Square, the historical significance. And how did you get from Hannibal Square when to park the FAMU, man? Yeah, sure, sure. Hannibal Square... Winter Park, let's just like you just said, Corey. Winter Park is renowned for riches and 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 luxury. Park Avenue, there's there's million dollar homes all over the area, but there's a little pocket in the middle called Hannibal Square. And when I was growing up, and it started off in the early 1800s or 1900s, excuse me, that's a wide range, but sometime early on, hundreds of years ago, the the city was that that town was incorporated to. Uh, have a place for the people who were working as like chauffeurs and cooks and just different jobs to support the wealth of Winter Park. Like those people needed uh, people to clean their homes. So though, and those were high paying jobs or decent paying jobs enough to where this area called Hannibal Square was formed 
and those people owned homes there and they actually had a little bit more wealth than you know other black people in america at that time so uh basically it was a mostly black area i, I was able to grow up there it's a lot of history literally like, like it's what 15 minutes outside of orlando but it's, just, it's like a town atmosphere, like the whole, it's, it's like one of those old school type environments where the neighborhood is raising you. Like there's black churches on every corner. There's a lot of culture, but it's also a low income area. You know what I mean? So a lot of people there on welfare, a lot of people there are renting. You half the, we'll, Let's just say at, when I was growing up, half the population was renters, but half of them were older homeowners too. Like, so yeah, there's just a lot of culture. And uh, yeah, basically I grew up there. I was luckily it was raised by the neighborhood had two parents I, I i come from a place of privilege i want to say too just coming from that area because i was one of the few who had a two-parent household you know what i mean when you grow up most of your neighbors either have one parent some of them have no parent some of them are being raised by a, a grandmother who has to work for them so they're raising themselves then they have to go to school and nobody cares about them so i understand and, and i see that i came from a place of privilege so that's how i ended up going to college because I had two parents who didn't play, you know, and they kept me out of trouble and they made sure I was volunteering and being exposed to things, even though we didn't have a lot of money. My mom would look into all the free resources that were available, anything free that you can do that's enriching and, and, and helping to mold the mind. She had us in it. And also, you said from Hannibal Square, we're in a part to uh, fam. I'm here in Central Florida. I grew up with the classic. Like, so fam just had a swag to it, like my whole life. Even people who didn't go to fam, even people who may not even know what an HBC is, they know Classic Weekend. Like I would hear people say that, that I wouldn't even expect to even know what it is, Classic Weekend. So I just had a love for family since then too, man, because that Classic Weekend, that's that sauce. So that mixed with like what I said earlier, I started to see like people that I admire in the marketplace were family grads mixed in with the sauce of the classic and all the swag and the, the excellence. So that's what brought me there, right? And the, and the guidance from my parents and the love. Great information, man. You, you bring up like two points that I want to touch on. You say wealth. You a senior public relations specialist. Brand communications team. Zillow. Now, I'm, I'm going to keep it real. I've never sold my house on Zillow, but you know what I do? Every month, my wife was like, yo, you're a little crazy. Like, yo, stop. put your phone down. I'm looking at Zillow. How much is the value of my house today? I'm looking at a property that I might want to pay cash for. How much is that worth today, right? I've never bought anything on Zillow, but I use Zillow as a, a tool because a brother, my brother Quan came on Black Men Sundays. He's a rapper, by the way, right? He came on. He said, you know, money's not a toy. It's a tool. So when I moved in my house, I said, all right, let me transfer some of this money into this tool that, you know, I, I'm a sneaker guy. Um Six, seven years ago, I saw the rates going up. I saw, you know, I got my, I was a renter in a Coe, Florida. At the time, Coe, Coe was nice at the time. You know, Winter Garden done, done took all the steam now. But um, when I was there, man, I started seeing, okay, the rent's $1,000. I got like a 1,200 square foot with a double car garage. And it was an apartment. But then that thing went up fourteen, fifteen hundred. I said, nah, we're not doing that. But I said, I need to figure out a way to establish generational wealth because Duran ain't doing it, man. So what I did was I looked in my closet and I said, oh, man, you got like you got like sneakers and they worth money. Sell them. Let's do it. So I, I basically sold like twelve thousand dollars in sneakers down payment moved in the house. But I'm seeing now, you know, a lot of brothers coming to me and they like, yo, 
the rates is high, the prices are at least back in the, the 90s and the early 2000s, the rates may have been high, but the housing prices were low. Now everything is sky high. So a lot of brothers are coming to me. They're saying, listen, I want to build generational wealth. I just don't feel that buying a house is going to give me generational wealth. I feel like the house is going to give me generational debt. We're coming from generational poverty. We know how that moves. I don't want to buy a house, only have enough money for that. But I understand, you know, we've had a lot of guests on Black Men Sundays and they say to achieve generational wealth. And I, I don't have millionaires come on. Y'all could check all the shows, millionaires. And they all said the number one way to achieve generational wealth is through home ownership. What are your thoughts on that, my brother? I completely agree. Most, I mean, there's re all the, the data is out there. Most Americans build wealth through home ownership. And Zillow actually did a re did research about the housing, uh, the racial wealth gap. So, you know, where there's a $3 trillion racial wealth gap, Zillow crunched some numbers. They have a team of researchers whose job is to solely look into different trends and see what's what's making people successful to um, enter homeownership and what hurdles are out there. But basically they crunched the numbers and they saw that like nearly half of the reason for that $3 trillion wealth gap is you can attribute it to inequalities in the housing market. So basically let's, let me phrase it a different way. If according to this research, if it's saying it, it did a thought experiment, if um, homeownership rates between white people and black people were equal, or home ownership rate or or home values between black people and white people were equal, that will shrink the wealth gap by billions of dollars. So that right there just shows you how important housing is to uh building generational wealth. So I totally, totally agree. Right now, I will say we're in unprecedented times economically, right? Now, you know what I mean? So we are in an affordability crisis, but what people don't understand, or what I think people should reconsider is that everybody's situation is unique. All the headlines are out there saying, oh, it's a terrible time to buy, but really the right time to buy is when it's right for you and your personal situation. And there's all type of resources out there. So before you should make a decision about anything, including whether it's the right time to buy a house or anything, and I'm not a housing expert, this is just what I would do. You just do your research, but personalize it to you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Go out there, Crunch the numbers. There for, there's affordability calculators out there. There's you you can talk to an agent, you can talk to a, a loan officer and gather all the information you can to figure out how you can, if if it's feasible for you. And there might be resources like down payment assistance and things that you haven't even thought about that could get you there. You could be, you could qualify to buy a home right now, but you listening to all the noise out there, that's not gonna help you. You gotta do your research. So that's what I think about it. But yeah, home ownership is proven. It's it's one of the main ways to build wealth in America. Coming out of COVID, a lot of brothers, um, a lot of brothers work from home. A lot of brothers gain new skills working from home. But I feel like a, the community as a whole learned, I need to research the company I work for before I just fill out the application. You paying me this? Because when COVID came, a lot of people, hey, we going to want this not go. I mean, I work in the news business and I saw stations go under, but Thankfully, the company I worked for was a good company. So I feel like people got smarter during COVID. They did more research on, I don't want to just fill out an application, but, you know, if you guys hit an issue, you know, it's my job going under. So, you know, I mean, senior public relations, I keep, wow, senior public relations specialist brand communications team at Zillow. What about Zillow made you say, that's the company for me? 
I appreciate that love, man. When you say the title, man, it just make you make you feel good, man. From where I came from, I didn't I knew I would be here, but man, it was it's been a long road and it's still much more road to go. But I will say I'm glad you asked that question because I came from a place entering the marketplace, entering the workforce with the attitude of I'll take whatever I can get. You know what I mean? Like as if I'm lucky to be able to add value to a job, to a, to a, to a company. Now, after nearly 10 years in the game, now I see what type of value I add. So I'm a little bit more selective in the brands that I work for, the brands that I represent. So Zillow, man, not only two, two reasons, everybody likes working for things that are larger than life. You know what I'm saying? Zillow is one of the biggest brands in the world. It's a billion dollar brand. One of the most beloved brands in the country. People love Zillow. I mean, there's some Zillow haters out there, but most people love Zillow. Um, that's one of the reasons I like working on things with big impact. They get millions and millions of people visiting the app and the site monthly. So that impact is there. But also the mission of the company, if I want to just simplify it or, or just put it, put it, put a nice bow on it, the mission of the company is to help as many people as possible get on. People think of Zillow as just a place, like you said, where you can go and see this estimate, see how much your home is worth, see how much your neighbor's home is worth, or a place where you can search for a home. But Right now, the company is, and that helps people get a home, but right now the company is really investing millions of dollars into being a, a one-stop resource for getting the home from the search to the financing, Zillow has a mortgage company, to helping people connect with the right agent for them, helping people get financing, helping people get resources, like down payment resources to help them get over some of these hurdles. And one of the biggest things, and one of the biggest part of my job is investing enough millions of dollars into researching ways to make the housing market better. Like all that stuff is super, super important. So I'm like, the impact is there. So I get to work for a cool brand, but also the mission is real because black people are dead last in home ownership rates. So I get to work for the biggest brand in real estate and add some of my sauce on it and my, some of my expertise. And I, I, at this stage in my career, I know I'm good at what I do. So I think that overall the, the, the brand and the mission is something that I care about. And it's, real world impact that that's helping the world but it's helping my community too the work that we do so that's the reason you know I work for the news i meet a lot of brothers all the time I meet a lot of sisters too man and you know a lot of brothers say man you know when i put my house for sale you know me and the wife you know me and the wife black you know we got two kids we got pictures all over the house we came and we looked at zillow first the house was worth three hundred thousand. they come in the appraisers come uh, they're like, okay, you, these people are approved, but you know, we're only going to give you this amount. And I remember I was telling my reporter, cause a lot of times like in the news business, like on the broadcast side, like it's a reporter, it's a photographer, but y'all in the car a lot. So we have conversations and, um, I was telling my reporter, I was like, man, I, I met this dude and he told me like, it's a black family, by the way. And it touched me cause I saw the video that you sent me. In that press kit, that's why I keep going back. See, I'd be setting the table up. But that press kit, I was like, oh, I know a brother did the same thing. The whole family was black. You know what they did? They um, took all their stuff out. I mean, they, they left their stuff in, but they, like, all the pictures down. They put the neighbor's pictures up, like, in the whole house. And it appraised differently. So, like, like it's, it's December 31st, bro. It's New Year's Eve, right? We trying to get ahead. I'm trying to win. We trying to Decrease the wealth gap because I had a brother come on and said by 2053, black wealth won't be because of 
the high prices. We're going to be priced out. So, and I'm and my bad. They call me the Corey Iverson of questions. So you you hear it, like the the layers coming. That's, and that's that family education broadcast. Ken Jones, all that. Um, Doctor Jita, just to name a couple. But my question for you is right. How can we de decrease the wealth gap? Because I was a kid in the eighties. Redlining was real. You know, you moved in an area that was called a project. Hmm, that didn't really work out too well. Now, black people getting money, you know, a lot of black women elevating that, especially these days. But, okay, I can't get approved for a loan. I'm not going to name the bank, the credit union, but they had some issues with black folks. We can't get it appraised right. So how can we as black people, bro, how can we establish generational wealth and we still have hurdles and we have money now? That's a great question. Like, mess with your mind a little bit too, right? It's the reality of the situation is the, the effects of redlining and all that stuff and the effects of all the things that black people have been dealing with in this country are still being realized right now. Like, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were just segregated in schools. You know what I mean? It wasn't that long ago that redlining was exposed. So, of course, we're still going to be dealing with those impacts today. One of the main reasons are things like credit, like credit is one of the biggest barriers for black people, people of color in general, to getting on. And that's a whole nother system that's a complicated thing. So one of the ways is just like education. That's what I'm that's that's basically what I get what I like to go back to because the first step is just the knowledge gap, just making sure you fully understand what it takes to achieve uh an approval. You know what I mean? And you can't do that just by listening to the headlines and and, and and not doing your personalized due diligence. You know what I mean? So yeah, man, it, it's it's tough, but it's achievable. A lot of the things that I do like to do at Zillow as well, like as a PR person for Zillow, my job is to tell various stories about the housing market from a Zillow perspective, but in general as well. Along the way, I meet a lot of people. I meet a lot of home shoppers. I meet a lot of Black uh, realtors. And I like to show stories like success stories we like to partner with influencers like we did something with the earn your leisure guys um we partnered with them because they're actually making it cool and trendy to want to build financial wealth uh generational wealth uh, among our community so we like to use our brand influence to and our resources to uh put information out there to help people make more informed decisions and my job is to help put that information out there and in a way that it, it's relatable to all communities. But we also partner with organizations who are very influential in their communities so that we combine our resources to get that information out there to them. So I said all that to, just to say, uh, just got, we got to do our research. And um, yeah, another thing, work with an agent. And that may be, that may seem like a, a no brainer, but the complex, the, the buying a home and all that, that whole ordeal, that, that is a complicated and emotional thing. The agent is the professional that can walk you through it, help you through the nuances that are, that are tailored to you and your area. So making sure that you shop around for an agent and make sure that you have one that works for you, that can help you as well. Um, yeah. So do your research, make sure your finance is right. Work with the right professional, the uh, industry professional and, yeah, those, those are a few tips that can get you over the hump. But the reality of the situation is that it's just a multifaceted issue, and 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 it's going to be there. There's a it's a, a layered, or it, yeah, it's a it's a layered uh, approach for solving the issue. To be honest.
but as black people, we have family members own property trying to pass down generational wealth. You know, it may be three, four sisters. You may have a couple brothers, but you get that knock on the door. Hey, we want to build a Publix here. We want to build a store here. And we would like to buy this land off you. You know, grandma, grandpa, family may have some debt. And, you know, the first thing as black people, and I'm keeping it real because I've seen that happen in my family. The first thing, uh, we selling it. We don't want the debt. We don't want to pay the taxes. Yeah, the house is paid off. But the taxes are due every year. We don't want to pay that. But then you end up essentially giving the property away. And we're talking about generational wealth. So how can we build generational wealth when grandma, auntie pass away? We're giving it up. That's true. That's a very serious issue. Like I said, I grew up in Hannibal Square, went apart, and I saw it happen. And you can still see the remnants of it today. You can see a 12-bedroom home, and right next door, there's a two-bedroom bungalow. And you can just see the, the, the neighborhood changing because I think it really comes down to education. And this is me speaking like my beliefs and what I believe based on my experiences. Education is a big thing, man. Like I, I think there's not enough, and I don't fully understand this, but I, I don't think there's enough conversation around the interconnectivity between property values and public education. I'm a very, very big believer in public education needs to be reformed. And I'm not a politician. And like I said, I'm not speaking on behalf of anybody but me. I'm just saying that I was in, in my neighborhood in, in Winter Park, the zoning was a little weird. So in that square, the Hannibal Square, maybe four or five houses down, my neighbor might go to a different elementary school. You know what I'm saying? The zoning was like that. Well, I don't know. I, I think that the schools had to be having been funded differently because the quality of the care of the quality of the education just seemed different to me. So um, I think a lot of it has to do with just educating ourselves or making sure that it's fair enough. The education system is fair enough so that we can just even know ground level civics and, and civil matters like that's stuff that you, you people assume that everybody's learning that in school and that may be on the curriculum but certain neighborhoods the students if you live in a certain neighborhood your, your experience in school is a little different you may have not as up-to-date resources or you may have there may be a smaller staff at school so the teachers experience a little different i remember having a teacher who taught us but she also like working in the cafeteria too a little bit. Like, I don't know, when I went to Kalani, it just seemed totally different. We had computers, we had a computer lab, we had just the, the quality of the education seemed, diff seemed better to me. So I just think it starts even as early as that. The schooling, like you can't expect people to understand what's going on on a civic level when they went to elementary school and middle school and high school that's not as equally funded as some of the other schools and they don't understand how money works and they don't understand that this property might be worth way, way more than what it is. Like, I think that it has a lot to do with that. I don't think public education is equal. Like we're not all starting on the same starting line. You know what I'm saying? And that should be more fair because kids are innocent. You know what I'm saying? Like a school, I don't know how that works. And it's more complicated than probably what I'm thinking, what I understand, but I'm just going off of what I remember. Like it's hard to focus on just basic learnings of people, what me, people might call basic when you're going home as a kid and you don't even know if you're going to eat. Like, I'm not worried about my homework if I don't even know if mom or dad going to come home and feed me today. You know what I mean? So 
I think it has something to do with the interconnectivity between public education and that learning curve and just understanding how things work on a municipality level and understanding finances and understanding just basic math and all that stuff. There's obviously a learning curve. I don't have the data right now, but I see reports that, you know, black kids are undereducated and that should, that's not right. And I think that has something to do with, 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 with this uh, ordeal that we're speaking of. I totally agree, man, because, you know, I had a brother come on the show and, you know, we were talking about generational wealth and we turned it turned into generational poverty. But, you know, when I think of family members, like because I'm from New York, so a lot of my family members, you know, lived in projects or, you know, they may have had the, the George Jefferson high rise. It wasn't a project, but, you know, they pay rent. So. Um, I didn't really understand generational wealth until my grandmother passed away. And I'm like, wow, she's been in this apartment since 1972. Imagine if she owned this property, like, you know, you just basically gave the key and, you know, that was it. But I guess for me, um, when we talk about like generational wealth, there's, and we've, we've touched on a lot of the topics, but I'm just saying, man, before I let you get out of here, like, I feel like at Zillow, Zillow believes in you. They believe in your experience. And, you know, when I think of Zillow, you know, I think of looking at houses, not realizing it's a tech company too, but, you know, it's an app. Most apps are tech companies, but you don't think like, you just think, I'm just, how much is my house today? Okay, oh, it's like this. Oh, I might want to sell. But, like, what are you brothers at Zillow doing to help aid brothers to get out of all these biases and to create home ownership opportunities to establish generational wealth. Well, like you said, Zillow is a tech company. It's a real estate brand, but it's also a tech company. So it's it's building things. It's taking advantage of technology. It's hiring some of the best and brightest in AI to build tools that's going to help connect people to the right resources and to the right home and to the right financing for them. So as the company does that, my job is to, again, publicize those efforts. For example, there's a new product that just launched from Zillow Rentals. Zillow has a rentals company to where it's, remember earlier I said that access to credit is one of the biggest reasons that people of color are denied a mortgage, uh, just issues pertaining to access to credit. So um, Zillow has built a product, a tech product, rent, rent, payment, rent payment reporting, so basically, if you pay your rent through Zillow, they're going to report that to the credit bureau. That's going to help a lot of people. You know what I mean? Like that credit system is a funky system. So there's a population of people who may have ran into some issues and their credit score is not the best, but they still are financially responsible because they're paying their rent on time every month. That's going to help impact a lot of people's credit scores. And I think, and Zillow believes that that's going to help a lot more people in, with their approval for a mortgage. So that things like that, that I, I get to help uh, bring visibility to those products, tell those stories, uh, connect that information to those resources. Same for down payment assistance. They're putting tech to the resources of down payment assistance that you can go on a Zillow listing and look on, look, uh, figure out what down payment assistance resources are available to you based on that list. So you can scroll down, figure out what down payment assistance resources are available to you. That's free money that you can use to probably get approved. So that's some of the things that Zillow's doing. Me in particular, my job is to publicize those efforts. And again, I work with the economic research function with Zillow and publicize those efforts 
with people who are their job is to do research that inform the company and the public. So policymakers, industry change makers, and shoppers with all the information out there to help them make the best decisions for them. So I get to publicize some of that research. Like I told you that racial wealth gap research that Zillow did. And we have a, a team of great econ economists. We have a, a Skylar Olson, our chief economist. She's very smart and talking about these issues and these trends and some of the solutions to that. Like, and we have uh, a black economist, African-American economist named Orphe Dabongi. He'd be good on the show too, man. He's, he's a brilliant, he's brilliant. He's very, very smart, way smarter than me when it's talking about, when, when it comes to talking about this hard housing market stuff. So Zillow's all about turning on the lights. I really embody, embody that with my role, turning on the lights, meaning just putting information out there for people as transparent as possible to help them get over the hump. And with my role, I get to uh, really embody that because my job is to bring awareness to all this stuff to help people pretty much help people get home. Well, great information, man. Also doing some research on you. You were the brand publicity specialist, Wyndham Destinations. Yeah, I did that. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just noticing, man. I'm Everything says specialists on it. Yeah. And you went to FAMU, man. You you making me proud right now for real. Like, this is awesome. I mean, FAMU. But here's my question for you, man. Brand publicity specialist, Wyndham Destinations. Talk about, like, how were you able to get that position? Definitely. Remember, I told you, make sure that you, you, you're aware of what's going on in your community and all, or in the field that you're, everybody in the field that you work, usually there's like a, professional organization tied to it. There's one for the lawyers, there's one for realtors, there's one for PR people, there's one for journalists, like NABJ. PR has PRSA. I was in Public Relations Student Society of America at FAMU, and I was actually on the board at that chapter, fundraising chair, got some money for the chapter. Um, but basically, I stayed involved with that post-graduation at the national level, PRSA, just because I'm just, like I said, just thinking ahead, if I wanna get into the career, this is like a small community. PR is not like, it, it's a small fraternity. <laughs> so go to where the, the folks are just for the wisdom, the mentorship. So long story short, I stay connected to PRSA, going to the meetings. They have this thing called um, Media Mashup here at the Central Florida, the Orlando PRSA. And basically it's a day where they take uh, media from all the, all the outlets in the area and the PR people. And we do like a little speed dating thing. And we were, we were able to meet meet all the journalists and just you know extend your network because that's what PR people do. We we network with people and, and figure out how we can add value to your day and help you produce stories. Um, my former boss at Wyndham, he saw me in action, you know, doing my thing. Like he said, you know, at FAMU, we 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 we're not shy about it. I was a little shy in college, but when when the lights are on, I, you got You got to do what you got to do. You can't you 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 have to be assertive. You have to stand out. You have to make people remember you. So I was doing my thing table to table and he noticed me. I didn't even, I was just, you know, working my mojo, making contacts for my current job, which was the college at the time. He saw me and then he just approached me, my former boss. He was one of the directors and he's like, man, I saw you. You look highly engaged and I want to call you in for an interview. I'm looking for a specialist. Then, yeah, we had a meeting. I met him for coffee. We had a meeting. His name's Steve Goldsmith. He's a great guy. You know, he's still one of my mentors today and a friend. Um, but yeah, he said, you should apply. I honestly wasn't qualified for the job, to be honest. Like I, only because at that stage, I don't know, it, it seemed like, obviously I was because I got the job. And I do believe when, you, when you're when uh, you ready to transition and involve into a next position, when you're in-house somewhere or at a company, 
there's going to be a learning curve. It's like a stretch goal. So you're qualified for some of it, but some of it you're going to have to learn on the job. So maybe I shouldn't say that. But yeah, he uh, gave me a chance, got an interview. They like, they, I basically use all my clips and stuff from FAMU and then all of the experience that I gained on the previous job, sold myself and they, they liked me. And then um, I started off as a specialist there. And yeah, I started adding, adding a ton of value, fresh, fresh perspective. I go in things different. I don't, I, I stay quiet in the beginning and observe, which is advice that I give everybody. I know we're all confident. And like you said, especially as FAMU grads, we come into it with the, you know, a little swagger and, and a confidence, but you also just need to sometimes just take a chill pill and just observe and take in all the information. So I did that for a month and then I just started just unapologetically being curious. I started asking a ton of questions to everybody, like everybody on my team. I'd rather you say I'm annoying for asking you a ton of questions to figure out how I can best add value than me just sit quiet and not know and just not contribute. So within like the first year, I was asking to do things, asking questions and then asking to do things like creating work for myself. Like what, what's missing? Like, oh, uh, for example, there's like there was like an intranet. Intranet is like the internal, let's just call it an internal Facebook just for employees. So I'm like, there's a lot of good things happening internally that the company is doing just on the ground level because Wyndham owns like hundreds of resorts all over the world. So in this internet, all the people at the resort, say the a resort in uh, California somewhere, they just did like a food drive and they donated pounds and pounds of food. So I'm like, this stuff needs to get out there. So I just started an initiative to look through that internet and just mine for stories and pitch those locally in there. And that just added a lot of visibility and for the resort in the area, but just also the larger good and what Zilla was doing to try to help uh, social the social impact work that they were doing. So just create opportunities for yourself, ask questions. Also, I uh, don't be afraid to you know shake it up a little bit the hospitality industry, that company was around for years, years. I want to say like like 70 years. Um, so a lot of the time, some of these organizations are just used to doing things. There was a lot of fresh thinking at, at Window, but I wasn't afraid to, you know, give a fresh perspective or come up with it, just offer up a crazy idea. For example, one of my jobs at Window was to uh, basically, like I said, they had a number of hotel, hospitality brands. And one of them was a brand called Walmart by Window, And it was uh, basically that brand was synonymous with like family and doing things together. And they basically, one of the brand elements, the visual elements of that brand was s'mores because that's all about coming together and doing things together as a family. So the publicity team, which was the team I was on, our job is to basically raise awareness for the focal point brands that they wanted us to raise awareness around. I saw that there was a s'mores thing I'm like, maybe we should do something for National S'mores Day. Like, that's a, seems like a, you know, it's a funny social media calendar day. But I'm like, not many people are doing something. It's an opportunity here. We have resources. And one thing about Wyndham is that was the first time I worked for a publicly traded company with a big budget. So we had money to, you know, test different ideas and do crazy stuff. So uh, basically, I'm like, let's do National S'mores Day. They thought it was a wild idea. We had a brainstorm around it. And then we, elevated it once I realized how much money we had to you know bring awareness to, to this brand I'm like let's add a celebrity angle to it you know what I mean so s'mores you remember the movie Sandlot the Sandlot they had the s'mores scene you're killing me small so I'm like the guy that played that I don't know he might not cost that much so I'm like maybe we add him as like a celebrity spokesperson for this campaign and do a big thing where we give out s'mores and long story short we did it it went viral and 
that's that wasn't in my job description to do all that, but I just wanted to. I wanted to make sure that I added value. I love what I do. So I want to, the way I think about it too, is like, man, I have a budget right now where I can test different ideas and theories with this corporation's money. Like, you know what I mean? So I have, I think of it just as a, a, a testing ground. I love what I do. I want to be successful. I want to add value. So I, um, I did just that really. Mm. And was this like and was this like 2019? Yeah, this is 2019. I got yeah. laid too. I got laid off uh during the pandemic from this because hospitality went downhill. Um but uh it led to me going to Zillow, but they like right before, and I just say this for inspiration for anybody out there who going through layoffs. I know right now the economic times is it's just hard right now for a lot of people. I was laid off, but um I added so much value and the, the team loved me so much that they, you know, gave me recommendation letters for my next job and, and such. Um, as soon as I was let go, I immediately just started putting in applications. It's hard. It has to set in, especially if you have a family, the uncertainty, but you just have to have a will and you have to be your, your biggest motivation. You have to, you have to really just look within to be strong. If you like, just, just to get over the hump and, and, and just don't give up and just keep, Keep hitting the pavement. I probably put in like twenty applications the next day. If like the next couple of days after I was laid off, like I'm just all about production. Like, I, and and that's what I preach. Like, just 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 keep hitting the pavement. Everything's in numbers. Everything's numbers. You keep doing it. You may get a fifty no's, but you're gonna. All it takes is one yes, and you're back in the game. We're going into the new year. A lot of brothers lost their jobs. What inspiration would you have for the brothers that feel discouraged now? You know. Like I said, man, it's it's hard out there. So I definitely understand. I've been through so many ups and downs in my life, man. But you just have to find, you have to lock in. You have to lock in. And we, we're like when you set a goal for yourself, whatever that is, of course, we should have several goals in life. But career-wise, what is your top goal? And that can be something. Of course, you'll have sub goals in between there to the top one to get there. But get laser focused on that top goal and come up with contingency plans. You know what I mean? In between, because you're going to run into hurdles. So you can love your job. Your job can love you. But like I said, at window, unfortunately, I was laid off because of the COVID-19 situation. Hospitality wasn't making any money. So naturally, the business have to do what's best for them. But I always, throughout that time at Wyndham, I was making sure my resume was straight. Like every time I did something, I added it to my portfolio. Uh, so just make sure that you're keeping track of everything that you you're doing. Put it somewhere where it's easily accessible because you never know when something outside of your control might happen and and, and you can uh you can lose your lose your job. So um that's something to do to just to, to, to be ready. But just as far as just some some inspiration, just keep your eye on the prize. Like I said, come up with contingency plans to be ready for any type of hurdle that that comes your way. And just keep just just believe in yourself, just almost and it just in a manic way, like just believe in yourself, believe in yourself, believe in yourself. That's, that's all I can say. Sometimes when I'm discouraged, I literally just go in the mirror and just think about all the stuff that I did do, like all the way up since, since college, I mean, since high school, elementary school, like when you're, when you're feeling down, just, just, just really rethink all of the things that you've done well for yourself, all of the hurdles that you, that you've already overcome. And then you can find, usually find some um, inspiration in that. I got like three more questions. First off, you enjoying yourself on Black Men Sundays? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, man. Wow. Great information. Man. I, I kind of want to 
get some specialty tips from me. You know, I don't get brothers. I get celebrity publicists. I get publicists, but you know, you fam, you right here. So here's my question for you, man. For brothers out here that are entrepreneurs, but they don't really know about product placement, media placement. Like what tips would you give for an entrepreneur spending money on a business, but they don't really know how to brand their business? Good question. Good question. I've said this before. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but everything starts in research. We learned that in J school too. Everything has to be in research. And when you talk about starting a business, whether you just started or you're about to start, you should have started with, I mean, an obsessive amount of research. That's 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 from YouTube, the University of YouTube. I love everything you need to know. Everything I need to know, I start on YouTube because there's some, there's like five or six people who already put information out there in a digestible way for me to, you know what I'm saying, start off my research. Read books, look at the competitors in the space. So the number one thing is start off with research. Make sure this is something that you want to start doing for real. That's actually feasible and, and there's a viable way for you to make money. The next thing I would say is to just come up with a, like, write out a plan. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to start my business and I'm in the trucking business. I'm going to do a documentary. Like, how are you going to do that? Like, put make a plan, include what you want to do, include the vi a viable roadmap to get there. Um contingency plans just in case there's hurdles along the way which inevitably they usually are um figure out how you're going to make money write that down like everything needs to be planned out who you're going to sell to how are you going to scale it if you want to scale it or, or maintain or sustain it if you're going to sustain it all that needs to be thought out research written down so start off with research write out the plan including in that plan needs to be the why now this is big for brandon the why piece around it like what's included in that why you need to build a narrative around that because the narrative is what resonates with people and then that's how people remember your brand the like when you think about the earliest points in humanity people used to tell stories to each other sitting around the campfire and that's how information some of those stories are probably still being told today in some variation or another so coming up with that why that narrative and making it well-defined, you got to do that. So that everything you do after that, you can't do anything branding-wise before coming up with that story. And it needs to be, just think of like an elevator an elevator pitch. What is the mission? Why am I doing this? And what what need are we meeting for the customer in some sort of way? That's, that needs to be there around that story. Why are you doing it? Um, then after that, once that story is well-defined, everything you do after that needs to map back to that. So then you can start thinking about like a content plan. Right now, one of the top ways to get your message out there and, and help your brand reach a multitude of people and resonate with people is social media. The algorithms reward people who put stuff out all the time, multiple times a day, every day. And you, some people can wing it, but some people, a lot of us are building businesses on the side from another job or we're parents and it's, we have, time is an issue. Time is not, time, time is finite, you know what I mean? So you have to come up with that plan of content so that you're staying in front of your customer, plan it out. I, I recommend planning out every day for a month. What am I going to put out? Make it something realistic. Like you can't say I'm going to put out a, a minute video every day. If you don't have time to produce a video, make sure that it's, it's high quality and good and it maps back to your narrative, your brand story. You know what I mean? So come up with that content plan. That's important. Map it out a month in advance. You can even do it a quarterly, like three months. Every, every day, what am I going to post? 
start building out that content. You can either build it out yourself if you have time, videos, posts, audio, uh, graphics, or you can go on sites like Fiverr and find a consultant or a contractor and pay them. Like So figure that out, though. You have to plan that because you can't just post one day, disappear, and then come back. You can, but, man, it's going to be hard for you to get your brand out there. So I'll say that. And then another one, after you build the plan, in my the content plan, in my opinion, then you get to building your visual assets, your logos, your website, and mapping it back to that brand story. Like, you can't just, like, building a brand is not just putting a logo together and just slopping it together and just making up something that you like. It should all be cohesive, mapped back to the story. I mean, even with the colors, like, make it make sense. You know what I mean? So that... That's another tip. And then after that, once you got your website up, you got your branding, you thought out your plan, everything's ready to go, your schedule, you can you're ready to be consistent. It's time to get out there, press the button and, and, and you know, go live. Start, it's time to start selling. Wow. Great information, man. And you know, doing some research on you, I saw that, you know, it's it's under six percent of black men in the PR world. And I'm like, I find that hard to believe because I'm like, you know, these celebrity, pub oh, I'm a celebrity publicist. I'm a publicist. Like, it's it's fly right now. Like, the publicist game is, like, really fly right now. So for brothers that, you know, they're in college or they're about to go to college or they're in high school and they say, Mom, Dad, I want to be a publicist. Like, you know, speaking to these brothers right now, like, what advice would you give them on the hunger level, some advice for these brothers that want to get in the game, man. My biggest advice is stay hungry and stay curious. Ask questions. Put yourself, like, create opportunities for yourself. People say it's not what you know, it's who you know, but sometimes you have to go out there and get to know people. Make yourself uncomfortable. For where I came from, you know, like I said, I had a lot of guidance. I had a lot of mentors. I was in a lot of programs in high school, but still, I... You know, we we're a product of our environment, so I was a certain way before I went to FAM. Like I didn't get out of my comfort zone. I like, like even for me joining PRSSA, doing something outside of school hours, like, and, and you know, taking time from work to go and do something that's not paying me at the high school me, or even the freshman me in college, I'm like, even up to sophomore, I don't think I did that till like the end of sophomore or junior year. I'm like, man, I didn't think that I would even do that. Something as simple as that. It may sound simple, but that's something that can make or break your entry point right there. Like the people who did that, you can have straight A's in all your J school classes and you didn't do any of the extra stuff. You didn't do the, you didn't intern. You didn't be go on the, on the board at PRSA. You didn't join the board at NABJ. You didn't network with anybody. You know, fam, you produces how many people out into the, into the workplace who are all working now. Many of them who I still work with today. Some of my main content co uh, contacts who helped me, you know, get coverage. You don't do any of that extra stuff. You don't get out of your comfort zone. It's going to be hard for you to get into PR. This is like you say, it's a sexy career. Everybody wants to do it. There was a couple shows. I forgot what show it was. One of these shows made it popular, like even more popular, like the field. So there's a lot of competition and you got to set yourself apart. So make yourself uncomfortable. Look for opportunities, even if it's for free. That's another thing that I don't like that's going around right now on the internet. Like I'm seeing people... The grind culture is kind of like being frowned upon. Like I see, I'm starting to see that trend. Like I see memes and stuff where people saying, "I would never do this for free. No way." My sometimes you do it for free just for a year, just for a few months. That can lead to 
a door that could have never have opened and it would never open for the person who has no experience, but they're not willing to do something for free. You know what I mean? It may sound crazy, but that's that's the uh, that's the approach I took, because, like I said, I didn't know anybody. I had to get it how I live, for lack of a better term. You know what I mean? And I just went out there in as many spaces as possible to meet as many people as possible and be good. Be good to people when you do that. You know what I'm saying? Be a good person. And eventually it's a snowball effect. Something's going to click and then you can you can engage that network. And it's going to lead to something. And then once you get that first chance, what you do with it is up to you. When you get that first opportunity, it's a game. It's a wrap. I mean, you're in the game. You just work hard and do put put. If you're ready, if you did everything, you can just implement that. Work hard. Be humble. Nothing's beneath you. I'll do anything. Like I was. I'll do anything when, when I'm working. Y'all want me to go? Like it's not in my job description, but y'all want me to go snap a few photos of some students when I was at the college? Okay, I'll do it. It is what it is. Like I want the experience. I want. I want as much as possible. So, stay curious. Be humble. Be willing to work hard. Be willing to do th do the things that other people aren't willing to do. And then that's going to set you apart. Definitely, man. This is my last question for you. I could talk to you all day, man. So, for brothers out there that have businesses that say, you know, I just want to hire a publicist. I don't. I don't want to do none of that. I'm gonna just cut a check, get a publicist. What advice would you give to business owners looking to hire a publicist? Like, what should they look for? First, you need to understand what you want. What do you want? What do you need? Come to, come with that clearly defined. Because when you do, when you're approaching people and you're, you're, you're interviewing people, because that's essentially what you're doing when you're uh, calling for people to pitch business or emailing somebody, or if you got a referral from somebody, Make sure you understand, you clearly define what, what exactly you want. And sometimes you might not, you, you may need their help. If you if, if it's not as clear, you may need their help helping you clearly define what you may need. You know what I'm saying? So try to think about what you need. Don't just say, I need a pub, I need a publicist. Think about it a little bit more. Come, but also interview a few people. Like, don't just take one person. I would go and talk to four people or four agencies and, and, and see what each of them are going to do or what they offer. Don't just take somebody else's word for it. Get out there and do your due diligence. And uh, and sometimes it's not even about their the the agency or the the publicist's resume. It's just when, on that call when when you set up the call and y'all are talking, just have a real talk conversation and see if y'all mesh well personality wise. And be ready with like come ready with questions that you want to ask them. And um, yeah, I think that that's how you should approach it. Hey, man, great information, man. Tyrone Law, a.k.a. Tyrone, the publicist. Yes, sir. Came on Black Men Sundays. Hannibal Square, Winter Park to FAMU. Senior Public Relations Specialist, Brand Communications Team at Zillow, man. Thank you very much. Happy New Year. Thanks for coming on Black Men Sunday, my brother. Thank you so much for having me, man. Happy New Year. It's a Black Men Sunday. Time to put all childish things away